A&E concluded their biography series on Sunday with the Brett Hitman Hart story. The bio covered Brett's childhood years, the sale of Stampede Wrestling, Cowboy Brett Hart, rising to the top of WWE, wrestling his brother Owen, the Montreal Screwjob, WCW, the death of Owen Hart, making amends, and life after wrestling. I'm Ryan Joy, and I run MinutesToBellTime.com, a website and database tracking pro wrestling from around the world. On today's show, we're talking about Bret Hart. What did you think of the biography? Did A&E do Bret justice? We have headlines from the last 24 hours. John DeCani is in the house, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for June 10, 2021, where we sort through all the bullshit in wrestling news to find you the truth. Here is the news. A&E concluded their biography series with the Bret Hart documentary on Sunday. This followed previous releases of Steve Austin, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, Ultimate Warrior, and Mankind. It did a 643K viewer rating. John, what did you think of the show? I, I loved it. I love anything that's got to do with Bret Hart. He's one of my favorites of all time. And I think they did justice and they avoided the slant that they took on especially the randy one there was nothing cringeworthy in there it, it was all pretty much lauding brett i was surprised by that they didn't shy away from owen hart they didn't shy away from the montreal screw job they didn't spend a ton of time on any one topic because there was so much stuff to cover oh, there's yeah. entire documentaries that you can watch on little bits of this one there's montreal screw job is well-documented on Dark Side of the Ring, as is Owen Hart's death. You can watch tons of uh, footage on those two little pieces of this overall biography. I thought that in the end, we had a redemption arc here with Brett. You know, you had the whole childhood story come through, and then you have his big leaving WWE and then coming back. And basically, at the end, it seems like everybody's happy. It's hopeful ending. So that's that was my overall impression. And Brett often comes off a little gruff. And he, he even admits to it uh, during one of the moments in the documentary. I'd become an angry guy, this, that, and the other thing. To see joy on his face, which is something, even when Brett wasn't the angry old guy, he didn't do a lot of smiling. Seeing the joy on his face when he's re-watching his lizard documentary from film school <laughs> and when he's flipping through his art, which is, you know, really funny, really great cartoons, especially as it pertains to the wrestling business. Seeing the joy and the happiness on his face was just, it was fantastic. You're right. He didn't smile much. I liked the A&E biography a lot. Some of the things that stood out in the early years we talked about Stu Hart. Stu Hart actually was a thread throughout most of the documentary. And they talked about Brett being there when he passed away and everything. But there was some early stuff that I had never heard about Stu Hart. Specifically, there was a time when he was living in a tent for three winters. Wrestling is very well steeped in hyperbole. Sure. And I, I wonder just how much of that is accurate. Because you as a Saskatchewan winter in a tent? I think it was Natalia who spoke up and said that the YMCA was Stu Hart's savior. So yeah. I would imagine that during those winters, he took shelter someplace. You would think. Yeah. <laughs> that is, it's very hard to believe that you could live out in, in the wilderness like that. But they talked about Stampede Wrestling, too. He bought the promotion for $50,000, he being Stu. 
They had a 22-room house. All the boys lived in the same room. I, I can't understand this. They, they had 12 kids. That's a lot of kids. But they had a 22-bedroom house. Why did they all have to be in the same room? <laughs> yeah, this was a house that they also mentioned it was like a hospital for war veterans and whatnot. And and all the boys, five boys lived in one room? I, I, why? The bear was under the back porch. It's not like he had a, the run of one of the whole floors. Helen Hart had to have her office. And Stu had to have his dungeon. So I guess maybe that's what it was. They talked about Stu Hart getting the stuff that the grocers couldn't sell. And they would have 50 pounds of bananas that they would eat over the next month because he got that for free from the grocer. If you have to feed a family of 12, I don't care what you're making for a living. I think you probably have to be creative. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and all the Hart kids were picked on a little bit because of wearing hand-me-downs and such like that. So... Uh, they lived normal lives. Yeah, their father was this icon in Canada, and yet the kids were getting picked on for having holes in the knees of their jeans at school. A much more normal life than you might have guessed. Yeah, and so they transitioned the dock into the sale of Stampede Wrestling. Vince bought Stampede Wrestling in 1984. And with that, I guess there was only four people that Stu said, please take care of. And that's the Dynamite Kid, the British Bulldog, Bret Hart, and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. I don't know what the Dynamite Kid did to rape, but the rest are all Stu's family. He married Julia's sister, so. There you go. <laughs> Those four all head to the WWE, and we've, obviously, the Hart Foundation, we'll talk about WWE's top 50 tag teams in the second half of the show, but Hart Foundation, obviously, one of the top tag teams in WWE history. They're way, way up on my personal top list. Okay, I'm a mark for Bret Hart, for Owen Hart, the Hart Foundation. Even if you take every bit of emotion out of it and you just look at it, there's no way they're not top 10, probably top five. Bret talks about working with Jim and he said at one point, he's like, I wish I could go back and live that time for just a couple of minutes. <laughs> and then I guess the impetus to take Bret from a tag wrestler to a singles wrestler was the fact that Vince McMahon came to him and said, for some reason, we get more fan mail for you than anybody else. Yeah. So we're going to turn you into a singles guy and push you to the moon. Yeah. And Brett wasn't necessarily convinced anything was going to come of it. Yeah. So, Yeah, let's ignore the fact that the other guy is the one with the charisma in the group. Yeah, He's, yeah. he's the guy who makes us laugh during the promos. He takes them over. Your mouthpiece, we're, we're, I mean, they didn't even give him Jimmy Hart as his manager. It was just like, all right, Brett, you're all by yourself, and here we go. And I, I got to think Brett was like, wait a minute. That was my security blanket. You just took my two security blankets away. When they start talking about his initial run as a singles guy, they get into the Piper match, and they spend a bit of time on the Davy Boy Smith match. Davy Boy Smith, the SummerSlam uh, in Wembley Stadium. They talk about how they sold it out in 11 minutes or something like that, 80,000 people. Brett and Piper... That was covered down heavily on the Piper documentary from a and &E earlier this year. That was a major part of the Piper documentary and just a little minor piece of the Bret Hart documentary. Yeah. And what, what they didn't talk about in the with the Davy Boy match, because I guess they didn't want to poo-poo his legacy or anything like that, is that what Brett wrote in his book was that this was at a time where the Bulldog was in peak physical shape, mm -hmm. but not so much mental and personal shape. And they put on a fantastic match. Bulldog goes over in that match. But the match starts, as Brett recounts in his book, 
with them locking up and the bulldog saying, Brett, I'm fooked. Which <laughs> is his way of saying, I've forgotten everything we talked about for this match. So that match was called on the fly by Brett. And he didn't carry Bulldog because Bulldog was physically very capable. But Bulldog was just along for the ride there. And he was going over in a big way in his home. To me, that just speaks of what a rare gem Bret Hart was to be able to pull that off with. You know, that's well documented in WWE's archives. They even put out a, a show, I don't know how long ago it was, on the WWE Network. It was like the lost match. And I can't think of the guy's name right now. The, the guy who was a kind of a bodybuilder came in and he was going to do some wrestling. They put him in there with Bret Hart. Apparently it was the greatest match ever. And Vince McMahon was absolutely committed to believing that this guy, Bret, was wrestling. It was going to be the next Hulk Hogan. This guy, he got in the ring with anybody else. It was a horrible match. But <laughs> Bret buried him <laughs> that match. And everybody thought it was great. I could basically do two moves. And Bret just worked around it. <laughs> there you go. Bret then rose to the top. He beats Ric Flair to become the WWF champion. Now, this is history. Everybody probably knows this, but when you put it in the context of Bret Hart, if you had to beat somebody to become champion, Ric Flair. That is I mean, certainly uh, something to put way at the top of the resume. BJ Pavanka jumping in here to let us know. Just check out his work with Kevin Nash. Bret makes everybody look good. So, yeah. Fair enough. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Bret makes everybody. And then once he's established as champion, he has to get the big victory over Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10. And then we talk about the feud with Owen Hart. Now, this was very surprising to me because in, as far as WWE products go since Owen's death, his name has hardly been mentioned. Sure. A couple of Hall of Fame speeches, Mark Henry's sticks out. But other than that, his name is almost not even spoken. And that's by design. It was so memorable as part of the Bret Hart championship run that you almost have to talk about it. You can't avoid it. And they were great matches. That WrestleMania 10 match, I put it up against any other WrestleMania match out there. So We've talked about that one at length and we had nothing but good things to say about it because what else could you say about it? It was fantastic. And as they went into in the documentary and as we've talked about before, the whole build for that was just fantastic. Here's the little brother and he was a wise guy. And, and meanwhile, that's his character, and you're talking about Owen. You're talking about a guy that in the history of wrestling might be the person that you cannot find a human being with a bad word to say about. Yeah. And here he was portraying the part of just this little bastard, this little pain in the ass, the, the, the angry little brother who's out for revenge on the big brother for just the fact that he feels like he was always pushed aside. Not necessarily that there was any proof of that. Just like, you've always kept me down. What? Wait, wait, what? But And the, the two of them apparently loved doing it because it was at a point where Owen was ready to walk away from wrestling because he just didn't like the storylines they were giving him. And Brett thought that there was just too much talent there to waste. So let's dig up this storyline we used to talk about when we were kids. And what's fascinating is that, well, on the camera, the storyline is you always held me down. You always get hard for me or whatever. But behind the scenes, it's literally Brett going – to bat for him and saying, let's do this storyline. If we can just get Owen in this spot, he'll take off. Yeah, literally so it's 180 complete, degrees. <laughs> it's, it's complete irony there. And yeah, best opener, technical masterpiece, that match at WrestleMania 10. And then every match after that, 
Uh, I, I mentioned it when we talked about WrestleMania 10 earlier this year that Meltzer gave that match five stars, and it was the first one in years from a WWE perspective that got five stars from Dave Meltzer. So then he turns heel a little bit later on in his career. Steve Austin says that if you put an S in front of Hitman, you get exactly what I think of him. And they talk about WrestleMania 13. And it's almost mind-boggling when you look back and you're like, man, it was only three years between that WrestleMania 9, 10 period and WrestleMania 13 when they had the big double turn in that match. But another situation where this match from WrestleMania 13 was talked about at length in the Steve Austin bio, and it was just almost a fleeting mention here in the Bret Hart bio. Bret Hart turns heel but in the most unique way maybe we've ever seen. Not only did it happen essentially within one match, but it also only happened in America. (laughs) He was going to be booed all across the United States, which granted is a huge chunk of the WWE territory and where they were going to be, but he was still going to be praised everywhere else. There was purposely a Canadian uh, tour built into that whole storyline where he would be, praised and made to be the hero because he already was a Canadian hero. You've got Wayne Gretzky and Bret Hart. There's no differentiation. That is the top of the list when you're up there in Canada. (laughs) But here he was going to be this hated, uh, detestable guy here in the United States. And it all essentially happened in one match. That is just the absolute mastery of the craft. They talk about the Shawn Michaels stuff. There's lots of stuff in there about Shawn Michaels and the problems that they had together. For more on that, Watch the Shawn Michaels bio. <laughs> we get into the Montreal screw job, which this is part of the Shawn Michaels stuff. But again, go watch Dark Side of the Ring. Go watch Wrestling with Shadows. There's tons and tons of stuff on the books written on the Montreal screw job. It's one of the biggest stories in wrestling history. They don't shy away from who's to blame here. Vince takes full credit for it and even takes full credit for Shawn Michaels lying about knowing about it. So we hit that thread and then. The thing that shocked me more than anything else in this, they actually talked about Owen Hart's death. They actually showed footage from the night he died and they didn't dwell on it, but they showed pictures of Brett going up to Owen's grave and things like that. So they definitely talked about it in a manner that I don't think they have since it happened, really. Yeah, certainly not in a WWE. Tons and tons of people have spoken about it but not in a WWE-sponsored or co-branded product. They talk about WCW and his time there and how it was a flop. And then Brett uses the analogy of his post-wrestling career as walking around with a big bag of rocks. He's had carrying this bag around, and he picks it up every day, and he walks around with it. And that's all the guilt and the baggage that he's carrying from the Montreal screw job and how the relationship ended and they patch it up. Brett comes back, him and Sean do a hug. Vince says, you know, Hey, you're the best there is the best there was the best there ever will be. Then immediately kicks him, you know, in the balls. <laughs> off the races we go, we get Brett's big match with Vince at WrestleMania. And then throughout the series, you're talking about Brett's wife and your his first wife and then his second wife. And you see him happy at the end which is what you were mentioning. He's living life to the fullest now. He's got his kids, his grandkids. They all come together at Brett's house the same way that everybody came together at Stu's house. You have that needle of family sewn throughout the whole show. Yeah, I I would have liked to have seen a little uh, something about what happened to Hart House. Has it been turned into a museum like it should be? They didn't discuss that at all, but they did have 
a Calgary historian on throughout the whole show talking about Stampede Wrestling and Stu Hart and the Hart family and everything. Bret Hart's such an important figure. What's your favorite Bret Hart match? The first one that always comes to mind, there's been so many, but Blood from a Stone, WrestleMania 13, it was just so masterful in every possible way. Yeah, 13 is so incredible. I can't look past 10, though. And there's so many great ones. You've got Kurt Henning out there. You've got the Davey Boy Smith match. You've got the Roddy Piper match. You've got all these great matches. you got the Ric Flair match. But for me, it's WrestleMania 10 with Owen. I, I, and even, and, I can't make a strong argument against that. No way. <laughs> and BJ chimed in earlier to say that the cage match from SummerSlam was underrated as well. Absolutely. And that match was highly rated in the uh, star categories, as I recall, too. So... Brett and Owen, what a great feud they had. And Bret Hart, what a great doc. 100%. Great way to wrap up this uh, nice little run here with eight absolute legends. And yeah, like you said, this one had bits of so many of the previous ones. And that's got to give you a little idea about just where Bret the Hitman Hart stands in the, the pantheon of all-time greats. Absolutely. And... By the way, BJ chimed in. Brett Diesel at Survivor Series 95 is a guilty pleasure for him. All right, there you go. Finale of the A&E biography. We have more headlines and a lot more to talk about, including the next iteration of the top 50 WWE tag teams in the second half of the show. So stick with us. We'll be right back right after this short promotional video. If you love the Daily Wrestling News Show, then I want to tell you how you can support us. First, check out BodySlamClothes.com. You can get a variety of shirts for just $20, and all of them come in the super soft style, and the price you see includes all sizes and shipping. Get 10% off two or more shirts with the promo code SHIRTS10. Go to BodySlamClothes.com right now to check it out. And join Joey Jarzanka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca on Friday nights for the Primetime Rundown. They take you through the world of sports. The show kicks off at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And each Tuesday, Al Carl hosts the Essential Wrestling Podcast alongside John Smith, myself, John DeConi, and Gary Mahaffey. It's another week of updates and highlights in the world of wrestling. Here are our analysis on who we think is going to win the week's matches. Coverage begins at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And Pro Wrestling Pick'em. It's a place where you can join or host a Pick'em League to test your predictive skills in the world of pro wrestling. Create an account and join a league now at ProWrestlingPick'em.com so you can play against your friends or play against the universe. And the Body Slam Brigade newsletter, currently going out to over 4,200 people each Friday. It consolidates all the top stories in professional wrestling into a quick-to-read email written by me for you for free. Sign up now at BodySlamBrigade.com. And of course, this show, the Daily Wrestling News Show. We're here every day, Monday through Thursday, and occasionally on Friday. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or watch us live on Facebook and YouTube at 10 a.m. This is the Daily Wrestling News Show, and we thank you for your support. We are in the headlines portion of the show. That's what that little soundbite means. John, I want to mention before we get into all the headlines, congratulations on the all-women's show. It was your hope for the future <laughs> at our 100th episode, and we got an all-women's pay-per-view. It's not quite a series or a show yet, but maybe if it does well, they'll pivot into their own series. Tip the cap to NWA for that. WWE's stock hit a 52-week high yesterday. It ended at 64.48. That's after being talked about on Reddit's Wall Street Bets forum and some other places as well. Watch that WWE stock. This is not a stock show, so don't take my advice on buying it or anything like that. 
because um, it only takes one announcement to watch that stock go. WWE is advertising Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Drew McIntyre, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, Amos, Sheamus, Riddle, Jimmy and Jay Uso, and Bailey for the, your upcoming super shows. That's their house shows that are on the loop this summer. This is going to be a, a very interesting and fun summer. People in the buildings, uh, an extra pay-per-view squeeze in the middle there. You got Helen to sell money in the bank and then right. uh, coming up to SummerSlam in the Death Star, the big there room. <laughs> there you go. And then WWE announced their top 50 tag teams, numbers 35 down to 21. Last week we talked about 50 through 35. Remember the Bushwhackers were team number 50. So that means every team below it has to be a Hall of Fame team. <laughs> so number 35, Jericho. Number 34, The Natural Disasters. 33, The Street Profits. Then 32, The Briscoe Brothers. Jack and Jerry, not Mark and Jay. Harper <laughs> and Rowan, Owen Hart and the Bulldogs, Miz and Morrison, The Bar, Team Hell No, Nikolai Volkov, Iron Sheik, Los Guerreros, The APA, Blackjacks come in at number 23. That's Lonza and Mulligan. The Shield at 22 and DX at 20. Demolition Watch continues, John. I'm so starting to worry that they're going to do something ridiculous there, but let's just look at, for me, I, my eyes immediately jumped to 22. The Shield at 22, and DX, specifically the Shawn Michaels Triple H version at 21. Are you kidding me? <laughs> a little, little agree. The Shield, in terms of what an important tag team it was, birthed these three champions. Yes. Whereas what they're calling Degeneration X was basically the golden parachute retirement plan for two <laughs> all-time icons, all-time pillars in the company. But these guys were on the retirement tour just selling glow sticks and T-shirts. <laughs> and honestly, that crown jewel run, they probably would have been number five <laughs> if it wasn't for that match. <laughs> but anyway, everybody loves Shawn Michaels and Triple H, so you're not going to get too many arguments. But the, the thing we talked about last week is who's going to be the guy who appears on this list the most. And we have two repeats. So now we've seen John Morrison, because he was on Eminem on the previous list. And we have Kane, who was Kane and X-Pac on the previous list. And he's on here for Team Hell No. That's with Daniel Bryan. So, John, no way to really split this. I think you did the average earlier, right? Like, they're both yeah. – where are they? Yeah, yeah, they both have rankings of 71. So, they have 35 and a half, the average ranking between Kane and John Morrison. So, there's no way to split it yet. But something tells me Kane's going to come out on top. So, here's another one. Is Dolph Ziggler going to be on this list? He hasn't hit the list yet, but will he, in fact, make this list in and multiple times in the bottom 20 or the top 20, I guess? Al Carl says the DX vs. Spirit Squad was the greatest tag feud ever, so he could <laughs> find his way in there. And then you've got, of course, the Dirty Dogs right now, and he's had a bunch of tag partners over the years. I don't think he has good odds of beating out Kane on this list no. yeah there's a guy who's been such a great performer he's another one of those guys whoever you put him with he's gonna shine but he hasn't had that quintessential pairing now going forward with the dirty dogs who knows but as of right now when you think of Dolph Ziggler you think of it's a hell of a talent but who do you think of as his main partner yeah so we're calling Kane and Undertaker are probably gonna be number 20 yeah, that'd be my guess. <laughs> yeah, so that'll get Kane on here three times. So not a very good average on the list, but it'll be it'll be a pretty high. All right, so that's the tag teams. And then a couple other news items before we get into the lineups for the rest of the week. 
PW Insider reported that some indie promoters have reached out to Braun Strowman. He's asking price is currently in the five-figure range. That's all I got. And then Vita Von Starr is the next person added to Ring of Honor's women's tournament. Vita Von Starr is one of the few women that they've had on the roster for quite some time. She joins Willow, Maserati, Allison Kay, Trisha Dora, Miranda, Alizé, Angelina Love, and Roxy in the tournament. Angelina Love gets a first round bye. I don't know how long this is going to go on for. I don't know how many names they're going to come up with, but got quite a list. Yeah, it's coming together very nicely. Yeah, and Al, our WrestleMania stat man coming in with Kane, going back to the tag team discussion, has the most tag wins in Mania history with four. That's a credential. That's a credential. So, John, I think that's it for news items. We do have lineups, and on Thursdays it's a tall order because we don't have another show until Monday, so we got to cover Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There you go. A couple of pay-per-views here. So NXT UK today, we have Walter, the ring general, returning. And then we also have Kaylee Ray versus Mako Satamora. I think this is going to be a newsworthy show, though. I think we're going to figure out who Walter's next opponent is. And I have no idea who it is because they don't really have anybody ready. And then Mako Satamora, they're going back to this for the second time. Are we going to see the end of the Forever Champion? I don't know. I hope not. She just kind of came out with this great nickname. She's the Forever Champion. Would be a shame to see her lose her championship this quick. Yeah, that's right. From that perspective alone. I have a news question coming in in the chat from Al. Did AOP retire? Okay, as I say in this show, I'm going to sort through the bullshit to bring you the facts. So here's what I know. AOP is a name that was mentioned around to AEW and New Japan. Neither one of them bit on AOP at the time because they just weren't it didn't fit. AOP didn't fit into the AEW world because of maybe financials or whatever. And New Japan wasn't bringing any talent in. So there was nothing to go on there. Fightful ran that report a couple days ago. After they ran that report, they were contacted, they being Fightful, from another promoter who said that they had reached out to AOP and they had said that they retired. Now, both guys are under 30. Yeah, And it's a, maybe that's true. We don't actually know if they heard that from an agent or from WWE or what the case is. Both guys are under 30. They got a lot of time left. I didn't report it as news because I didn't really think it was completely concrete. Right. So that's what I think we know at this point. It would be very surprising to see them walk away. You would think, and I guess Japan just wasn't bringing anybody in, but you would think two big monsters like that, foreign monsters, especially in the New Japan, where, as you talk about, they bounce those two and three-man tag titles back and forth. They don't have a lot of tag teams there. They'd fit in great and would have a nice run. Sure. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. The report also did say that they are actually working normal jobs at this point. So they could always make another run and maybe they'll take indie dates in the future if they want to. But as of right now, it seems like they're at least stepped away for the time being. And maybe when the pandemic is over, I think a lot of people are putting things on hold until then. So uh, retirement's a tough word. It it sounds permanent and maybe they're taking time off. I I put Leo Rush in the same category. He said he retired. He could come back tomorrow and look, Kylie Ray. She retired, what, a few months ago and came back. So Things have a way of changing. BJ says he loves AOP, hopes they find a home. But if they're done, and it's by their own choice, that's good for them. They just couldn't stay healthy enough to be fully utilized. And there's only one injury, really. One guy got injured, he was out for many months, and when they got healthy, they got let go. And that was the end. 
All right. The rest of the lineups to get into Impact has two shows. They have their normal Thursday night show, and then they have Against All Odds. Don Callis, Scott Demore, and Tony Khan are getting together on Impact tonight, so that should be interesting. I'm not sure what's going to come out of that. W. Morrissey versus Willie Mack, Joe Doring versus Eddie Edwards, Rosemary versus Havoc. If Havoc wins, she gets added to the Knockouts Championship match. Tasha Steeles versus Kimberly, Rohit and Chris Bay versus Trey and PD Williams, and then Cody Diener versus Crazy Steve on BTI. John, anything on the show tonight really sticking out for you? Just to see what comes out of that big summit with all the EVPs, I presume it's not going to be adding Sammy to the Moose and Omega, but I guess it could happen. Yeah, if not, Sammy doesn't have a match for against all odds. Maybe they'll just make him the special guest referee. He's the guy who you would expect to fall right down the middle. So. <laughs> like somebody who hates them both, yeah. So then against all odds is this weekend. That's Impact's next Impact Network show, Impact Plus. Moose versus Kenny Omega for the championship. Satoshi Kojima versus Joe Doring. Rosemary versus Deanna Perrazzo. Fire and Flava versus Susan and Kimberly. Rich Swan versus Morrissey, Diener and Rhino versus Decay, Petey Williams versus Trey Miguel versus Ace Austin versus Chris Bay versus Rohit Raju, and Crazy Steve and Black Tarus versus Cody Diener and Rhino. And then on Friday night, we have Dynamite. We have Miro versus Evil Uno for the TNT Championship. Good luck, Evil Uno. Lance Archer will be in action. Good luck in action. Cody has an announcement. We hear from the Pinnacle, Christian Cage versus Angelico. Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler versus Pac Penta, Kingston, Hangman Page and Preston Vance versus Will Hobbs and Brian Cage, Darby Allen and Sting make an announcement, and Layla Hirsch versus Nyla Rose. Evil Uno coming home with the championship, John? No, I do not think so. <laughs> Travis advised everybody to keep their eyes on Christian Cage versus Angelico. He really is looking forward to that match. And Angelico has looked good on Dark and Dark Elevation as of recently. He's been doing a lot of singles matches. He's got this Navarro death roll submission. Very fancy. It's crazy to think that as long as Christian can keep up his part of the bargain, then that should be a fantastic match. Absolutely. But I think Christian, he's worked a couple matches now. I think he's got himself back in the ring shape. That should be a really good match. Watch out for Jack Evans. He'll be lurking on the outside. And Matt Hardy, he's got a bounty out on Christian Cage, and he's used the TH2 before. Yep. And then for TakeOver, we have a five-match show. Karrion Cross versus Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly versus Pete Dunne. LA Knight versus Cameron Gimes with the Million Dollar Championship on the line. Raquel Gonzalez versus Ember Moon. Legato Del Fantasma versus MSK and Bronson Reed with North American Championship and the tag titles on the line. And Mercedes Martinez versus Zaylee. So, John, and all of the stuff that's going on, we got Miro versus Eva Luna. We got Karrion Cross defending against four guys. Kenny Omega versus Moose. A lot of championships on the line. Anybody losing their title? I think there's a chance to see that uh, six-man winner-takes-all match go the other way. I could definitely see uh, Legato coming out with all the gold there. And I just have this weird suspicion about Karrion Cross, not you know them not waiting for the draft to pull him up to the main roster. And I think that's maybe why you make this match. I haven't decided on who I'm going to. Uh, punch my ticket with yet and who I'm going to pick, but that's not going to be carrying cross. Yeah. I, I was on, I was, I was on Cole until he did what always happens to me. <laughs> we make our pick for a pay-per-view before that week's show. I pick somebody. I really feel good about it. And that day that guy ends the show holding the belt up that he doesn't own, which is the biggest no, no to me in the business. And I go, ah, there goes that pick. <laughs> Absolutely. 
All right, I want to close the show with a little extra little Bret Hart stuff. You're wearing the Hart Foundation shirt, and that's Bret's IC title back there, too. Yeah. That's not just his IC title, but it got a little winter vacation up to Canada where it was signed by the man himself. This there is my uh, prized possession. Very good. And Bret Hart, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. John, anything else before we close the door on today's show? No, but thank you for letting me be along for, we went almost 20 minutes on Bret Hart. I know it was a light news day, but that, that was very special to me. <laughs> so thank, <laughs> thank you for letting me blabber on. No problem. For the excellence of execution himself, for John DeCani, I am Ryan Joy. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show, episode 113. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on Monday. See you.